Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back to another episode of the Core 4 Podcast. We're a podcast under Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, and I am your host, Nathan Chester, and I am joined here today by Bryce Hayes, a relatively new member of the Grizzly Bear Blues staff. Bryce, what's going on, man? What's good, man? What's good? You know, just enjoying basketball all day. I hate to not be watching Grizzlies basketball anymore now that the season's officially wrapped, but, you know, it's a blessing in the sky to have basketball on from 12 o'clock to essentially 12 o'clock now. Yeah, I feel, I feel that, man. And times have changed a little bit since the last time you were on the show. What was it, three weeks ago was the last time you were on? Yeah, right before the bubble really got going. And you you and I and Parker, you go back and listen to that show, we were so optimistic about the direction, everything that was talking. We were legitimately talking crap that day. You said the Grizzlies could take the Lakers to six that they played in the playoff series. And what's really ironic to me for reasons we'll get into in a little while is I don't even think you were wrong and yet the Grizzlies did not make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, the Lakers were making me look a little bit better last night. But, you know, the Grizzlies, things didn't go quite right. Like I said in my article today, it was uh, a little bit farther from the ma- most magical place in the world down there in Disney the past couple of weeks for the Grizzlies. But, you know, things happen. It wasn't their time. They've got plenty of years to come to make, make a run at that trophy. I think the frustrating thing for me as far as the bubble is concerned is to me there's really only one thing that was learned as in going forward, like what the roster is going to look like and what the rotation is going to look like. And that's that Grayson Allen is going to be a consistent rotation player going forward. And for no other reason, then he brings probably the most consistent shooting stroke on the team outside of Sharon Jackson Jr. because I can go down – every single member of the roster. John Morant is great. He was great in Orlando. He was great all rookie season. I'm putting in my piece for tomorrow. There are three rookies in NBA history who averaged 17 points, seven assists while shooting 47% from the field. That list is Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson, and John Morant. He transcends eras. That's how great he was as a rookie. We already knew that. He showed it in Orlando. Jared Jackson Jr., he looked better than he was this season. He His ball handling looked a little bit better. But for the most part, he did what I expect out of him. He played pretty bad in the scrimmages, and then he was great in the bubble games. More or less, he is what he was. Valanciunas was giving you consistent production. Dylan Brooks is who he is. Um, it, it, it's You never know exactly what you're going to get on a nightly basis. But for the most part, his numbers were good. He shot 44% while averaging 20 points a game. If you had told me before the bubble started, I'd be thrilled that he was going to do that. DeAnthony Melton sucked. Um, 
it, there's there's really no other way to put it. It is what it is. He he sucked. Um, I still think he'll be a rotation player going forward. It'll be interesting to see what the Grizzlies do with them at restricted free agency. But it didn't just cause me to shift my opinion on him totally. The Grizzlies won at a 55-win pace when he was playing this year after he joined the rotation in December. So all things considered, we went through a lot of heartache to not learn a whole lot. <laughs> Yeah, I have to agree, but as sad as the past couple weeks were to have all these expectations entering the bubble just for it to kind of fall flat, I do think the emergence of Grayson Allen, which, I mean, I got pushed back the last time I was on the show when I said Grayson Allen was going to be important in the bubble. He made me look very good. But he decided to, you know, look like the All-American that he was propped up to be going into Duke in that bubble. He had a consistent jump shot. He played defense. He hustled and he looked like a rotation player. It wasn't, oh, he's just the G League guy that because the Grizzlies are our young team, he's getting some rotation. No, he looked like a solid rotation player. Kyle Anderson, I thought I was going to get a little bit more out of him because, you know, in the scrimmages, he's becomes Mike Miller all of a sudden. He's making four or five threes a game. No hits. And then it just kind of disappears. I was a little disappointed in that. You know, you mentioned Dylan Brooks, which, like you said, the numbers are a lot better than it would look watching it sometimes. People tried to put Dylan Brooks to the state, and I was one of the few people I know that defended him pretty much throughout the whole bubble, which, I mean, like, there's really no just go-getter on this team that's not Ja and Jaren. So, yeah, we're going to have to deal with – Dylan Brooks being a streaky player, he was like that at Oregon. He's like that now. It's just the way he is. There's nothing to change about it. But, I mean, like you said, also DeAnthony Milton, you know, I would have liked to get a little bit more out of him. But four-month layoff, things changed. Jaron got better. Anthony Milton regressed a little bit back toward me. Things happened. Josh Jackson, I thought I was going to get more out of him. He ends up not even in the rotation. Yeah, he broke my heart. He really broke my – my piece made best of SB Nation. It was a wonderful feature about how he had overcome the odds this season and how he was going to show out of the bubble and just an anticlimactic end, to say the least. And Jonas Valanciunas ends up being the X Factor for the Grizzlies, the entire bubble. I'm having to preach feed Jonas the whole – pretty much the whole eight games. And you see when they actually went through with it, whether it was the double-double or they end up with a triple-double against Milwaukee. And then even the Oklahoma City game, the games where we really went through Jonas were the games they played well and won. So the future is still bright. Would have liked to win a couple more games than we did down in Orlando. But, I mean, like I said last night on Twitter – People are trying to take Taylor Jenkins to the state. You got to realize there's a lot of good coaches down in that bubble and a lot of elite talent. And the Grizzlies are a team that's – most of them are younger than me. I'm only 22. And that team is young, coaches young, first-year head coach. To even be where they were was a success. And you can really – it can really only go up from here because it's a team that's going to come back hungrier. They were that close to being in the playoffs in their first year together. They're sure. going to want it. 
And you and you and I are both 22, and we can be pretty dumb at times, right? Yeah, that yeah. Gonna happen. So, so I look at people like John and Jaron. It's it's weird to me growing up watching NBA basketball to see guys like that who are younger than I am, and to see how tremendously talented they are at that age. And it just puts into perspective just how bright the future is to the Grizzlies. But on John Morant specifically, here, let me ask you this: Have you ever seen the movie Creed? Yeah. Yeah, so I love Creed, and not necessarily because it replicates the formula of one of my other favorite movies of all time in Rocky, and it being basically the same movie with a few extra alterations to the formula. But I thought about when I saw John Morant walk off the court for the final time after scoring a career high of 35 points and eight assists and giving it all that he had to try to make the Blazers have to play one more game on the next day, that Sunday, I couldn't help but think of Creed and when Donnie fights Ricky Conlon at the end of the movie. And Creed is tremendously talented. You get to see that throughout the entire movie. But you know going into that fight, like if you've ever watched a Rocky movie, you knew going into that fight that he wasn't going to win it. That as tremendously talented as he was, it wasn't quite the right time for him to be able to win that fight just yet. But I remember Max Kellerman had the most memorable line in that entire movie to me. And it's ironic because Sylvester Stallone didn't have it and Michael B. Jordan didn't have it. But he said, uh, Ricky Conlon won the fight, um, but Adonis Creed won the night. Right. And I saw John Morant walk off the court for the final time. And I look and say, he wasn't ready to beat Damian Lillard. He wasn't ready to outplay him, even though he did. He did outplay Damian Lillard this past Saturday individually in that game. But the da- Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, and the Portland Trailblazers, they may have won the game, and they may have some more damage to do this year, judging by how they beat the Lakers in the first game of the quarterfinals. But John Morant won the day that day. And in the movie Creed, even though Adonis Creed loses that fight, everybody who watched that fight knew that the belt would soon be his, even if it wasn't at that time. And you can't help but watch John Morant right before he turned 21 years old, put on that type of performance in a season full of iconic moments that he's had this year and not think, if all goes right, he's going to be the best point guard in the world one day. Yeah, to piggyback off of that, like, Sadly, I didn't get to watch that game because I was on the road. But just seeing the highlights, seeing the end result with him walking off the floor, you know that he first off he wasn't happy. You could tell, you could see that in his eyes. He was pissed because he played so well, and just to have that opportunity right there in front of him get it snatched away, it sucks. But like you said, bringing up Creed is a good point because this is the beginning of a coming of age story. Grizz Next Gen, this is just the beginning of a story that's getting written. And luckily, we're here to witness it. We're here ahead of a lot of other people. And I think Saturday, the Grizzlies earn a lot of people's respect. They don't really get a lot of national TV games. And sadly, the past couple of times they did, they didn't really play that well. Saturday played really well against a veteran team with playoff experience as a unit and as a coaching side. The Grizzlies weren't supposed to be in that game. They led for a majority of that game against a Portland team that, to be frank, they're scorching hot. Damian Lillard can't miss. C.J. McCollum, even with a broken back, is still playing exceptionally well. And they took them to pretty much the last few seconds. 
Yeah. So we're, yeah, it, we've got it, a bright future. For sure, man, for sure. So moving on to the rest of the NBA as a whole, there's one story I want to touch on real fast, and I saw it off of Shams' tweet from earlier today, and it just cracks me up to no end after following the Grizzlies for the last decade. Shams tweeted at 2.20 earlier today, or yesterday, since the people are reading this the day after we're recording it, of course. The NBA has informed teams that they are no longer allowed to report injuries in general terms, such as conditioning, reconditioning, soreness, and fatigue, telling them they must use specific reason and body part. So Zachary Kleiman in a media session today said that Tyus Jones had been dealing with severe swelling in his knee and not actually knee soreness. So it was a very vague reporting on the Grizzlies medical staff. And Bryce, if you were paying a little bit of attention, I caught some heat back on Saturday because I was questioning why is Tyus Jones missing eight straight games because of knee soreness. This doesn't make any sense to me. And if I, well, could, I saw it. I saw it. And no, it, it, so, someone with bad knees, I was tempted to respond. I was like, hey, <laughs> look, <laughs> if you got the right knee soreness, it can take you a minute. <laughs> but, you know, if I, to be fair, if I could go back and reword that tweet, it sounded like I was questioning his competitiveness, which wasn't what I was trying to do. My question was, the Grizzlies medical staff is not doing right by him if he's being held out for all this time and they're quoting it as knee soreness when he's really dealing with a significant issue, which I think knee swelling could denote as a structural issue or a long-term right. issue. I hope and pray that's not the case for him. But I think of this, I think of Jordan Adams, I think of Chandler Parsons, all the players over the last decade who would just – appear on the injury report with knee soreness, lower body soreness, and we would never, ever find out what was truly wrong with them. And the Grizzlies medical staff would be so vague to the point where, I mean, they basically lied about Chandler Parsons for a solid year after he got here. So it's just – I just hope going forward we're able to have some clarity on what's actually going on with the guys on the team. Well, they're pretty much forced into transparency. Lucky, luckily for Tyus, it just sounds like he may need to get his knee drained, which isn't something that'll just keep him out a long time. It's easy to rehab. But, yeah, like you said, Chandler Parsons, Jordan Adams' problems of the past are definitely something that seems like the NBA is trying to stop and give a little more transparency to not only the opposing teams but to the fan bases that are like, what are – what is really wrong with these players that we're paying a lot of money to see, but all of a sudden they're on an injury report with this mysterious injury that we don't really know what's wrong. And you just get kind of statement answers from the staff where it's like, we're managing him and it's not a big injury, but he's out for a month. So now with a little more transparency. We know what it is and they're being specific. I think it'll ease a little bit of that tension that started to rise with all the load management and everything between team defense. Sure, sure. So as we continue to talk about the NBA as a whole, um, I watched the Lakers and Blazers game. Now, I told you right before we started that the bubble was kind of a draining experience for me as a Grizzlies fan. So I needed to take like a day or two off from the NBA, but I came back to watch the Lakers-Blazers game last night. And let me go ahead and put it on the record. I thought the Blazers were going to get swept or either lose five. Um, that defense got torched 
by a Brooklyn Nets team with a bunch of G League players on it. And then, I mean, I could probably classify the Memphis Grizzlies as well in the current shape that they were in on Saturday. Um, the Grizzlies, who had struggled mightily on offense the entire bubble, were able to tear them to shreds as well. So I look at that roster and I say, all right, who in the good Lord's name was going to guard Antonio, uh, Antonio Anthony Davis and LeBron James on that roster? That Lakers team did not look good at all last night. And they looked – you know who they reminded me of? The Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis I'll Grizzlies, not, not just from this year, but basically from the last decade as a whole, where I'm looking at a team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the court, and I'm thinking, who the heck are you going to rely upon to make knockdown shots when the chips are down? Danny Green couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat right now. To tell you, it's Caldwell Pope has never been a knockdown spot-up shooter. Alex Caruso, of course not. You think John Rondo is going to be the answer once he gets back healthy? And I look across the court at them, and I'm thinking – Blazers have a lot of shot makers, and this makes them a uniquely bad matchup for them. And that's been the biggest difference in the bubble. Like, even you mentioned that they haven't been playing the best defense, but in a situation like this with no crowd, coaching and shot makers are going to win you games. Even if you look at, say, today, well, I guess yesterday, now, Brooklyn's been hanging in with Toronto just because guys like Luau Cabarro have been making shots. Portland has guys that are making shots. Gary Trent Jr. is playing the best he's played in the NBA so far. Carmelo Anthony, he's going to the Hall of Fame as a shot maker. Damian Lillard can't miss anywhere on the court. CJ McCollum's playing his best. Nurkic is there. Like, these guys are hooping. And right now, the Lakers simply aren't. And that's been the story of the bubble. They're not playing well. It's just, it's the Lakers. LeBron is on the chase, so we kind of ignore it and put it to the side. The Lakers are not playing well. Anthony Davis, in reality, did not play well yesterday. That team did not look good. That was not a good basketball team that was out on the floor yesterday. No one played defense. Damian Lillard made KCP and Danny Green looked like G-leaders when they had to defend him. It wasn't good. They have to figure this out or Damian Lillard's going to average 40 points a game and send them home. I don't believe what Charles Barkley said with a sweep or anything, but this is going to be a lot more competitive than what the Lakers thought if something doesn't change. And Rondo is not the answer, which for some reason keeps coming up. Yeah, he, Rondo will never help with shooting issues, that's for sure. And it, You know, as much concern as I had for the Lakers while watching them struggle last night, I'm not going to overreact to it. Now, I could make it easy to say they have LeBron James, who even at 36 years old, is still LeBron James. You just have to think that a team with LeBron James and then another top seven-ish or so player in Anthony Davis will figure it out at some point. But another reason is – Milwaukee has not looked good in the bubble. And they lost a game to Orlando um, yesterday. They, uh, The Los Angeles Clippers did not look very good against the Dallas Mavericks in their first game in the playoffs. I'm thinking it's going to take the top tier of contenders some time to get the ball rolling. And even if the Lakers go down 2-0 to Portland, it wouldn't be like they're dropping the first two at Staples and are now having to hit the road to go to Oregon. That's not what's going right. to happen. Each game's a neutral site, and I don't really know who that benefits, to be completely honest with you. Um, maybe 
freak athletes like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, maybe they feed off the energy of a crowd more than just pure shot makers do. I don't know. Um, but it's interesting to see this play out in an environment that's never been used before and watch these players try to acclimate to it. And I'm not saying there's going to be dramatic differences that Orlando is going to upset Milwaukee or something of that nature, but there does appear to be a difference in the overall quality of play, especially among the top contenders. And whether that's because of the long layoff or they just don't have fan energy, it's interesting to see for sure. Well, I definitely think, especially with the Lakers and Milwaukee, there's just an issue of they don't have shot makers and we don't have the home court advantage like a Staples Center has or Milwaukee's arena, which is escaping me right now, but I know Milwaukee has a home court advantage. When Giannis gets going, it's hard to play in Milwaukee. In a bubble, there's no one there but you and your team. So now you have to make shots – these coaches have all day to sit there and scout you now. I know that was a talking point last night when they were talking to Jason Kidd. He was like, they have three or four extra pages of scouting reports now because that's all they have time to do. They just sit there and scout. They've adjusted. Now it's up for these teams offensively that know they don't have the best shot makers in the world to figure out a way to win. The Grizzlies didn't do that, sadly. That's why they're at home. Some of these teams that we have picked to win the championship, if they don't figure it out soon, they will be at home. This is going to be a tournament that the best shot makers and the best coaches are going to win. Yeah, for sure. So so let me just ask you this, Lakers, Blazers from here on out, who do you think will end up winning the series? I still think the Lakers will win it. Yeah. But they may push them seven. Because yeah, it wouldn't shock me for sure, but it, I will definitely – all bets are off and LeBron James plays at a game seven, and I would expect him to pull that off no matter what the circumstances are. But to kind of close off, and I saved this for last, I think it's going to take us some time to talk about it. This is a trigger topic for me to a certain degree, but we're, we're going to circle it on back here to talking about the Grizzlies. Tomorrow night is the draft lottery, and the Grizzlies are slotted in at 14. And I think it's pretty dumb that we even have to talk about this. Like, there's a 96% chance that they will convey the pick to Boston, which there's nothing more to be said about that. If you've been paying attention to anything we've said over the last two years, you always know, already know what we mean by that. But there's a 96% chance they're going to convey the pick to Boston, and there's a 4% chance that they hop into the top four. Now, I would prefer to convey the pick. I just think that's for the best. This draft isn't great. I'd rather give Boston a mid-teens pick rather than give Boston an unprotected pick in 2021 in a deeper and better draft when the Grizzlies very likely may take a step back. So, to me, that's the obvious course of action. I also think there's a real possibility that the Utah Jazz fall out of the playoffs, which if that is the case, they will owe Memphis a first-round pick next year. So for a team that is starving for good perimeter production, the Grizzlies could very likely have two swings in the lottery and a great deep draft to find two wings to address that need. Now, that being said, I would not at all mind Anthony Edwards as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. I like Anthony Edwards a lot. He fits the prototype of what they need, a big, physical, bruising wing who create his own shot at will. I don't love him, his efficiency issues, um, 
bother me like he did at Georgia. And honestly, Parker Fleming told me this earlier today. He said, I think Grizz Twitter may uh, commit collective suicide if they start seeing Anthony Edwards and Dylan Brooks trade long twos back and forth. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a real possibility. But it would be humorous to see. But what, what are your thoughts about that? First off, I'm on Team Convey. I just simply don't understand why this has been a discussion for the past 48 and probably now 72 hours. But if by some miracle it does happen, I have no issue if Anthony Edwards was in play. I think some of the efficiency issues are a little overblown because of the system that Georgia plays in and just the overall team Edwards was on down at Georgia he would have to force shots a little bit more than you would like him to just to try and get points on the board. So, obviously, your efficiency goes down. As we know, watching Dylan Brooks, when there's no one else to shoot, you got to shoot a little bit more. (laughs) But if there is a top four, I'm on a side of this that a lot of people aren't because of the potential side show that comes with it. I wouldn't mind having a metal ball in Memphis. Granted, I don't think it's worth the discussion because I don't think it's going to happen. But – I don't think the LeVar ball issue is as big as people have tried to make it out to be on Grizz Twitter because, personally, you haven't heard from LeVar Ball in well over a year. It's not that big of a deal. We have T. Morant here. He's a welcome member of the Grizzlies community. We love him to death, and I think it would be essentially the same thing if they had LaMelo Ball. Personally, I think we all should focus more on what happens with the second-round pick instead of having a situation like Jamal Franklin or Giannis Timo where we just draft someone and never see him. Let's make sure we use that pick and, and it has some value. Like Dylan Brooks was effectively our second-round pick a couple years ago. He stayed. He's been productive. Maybe not always efficient, but productive. He's becoming essentially our 3 and D guy. Let's use that pick and get something out of it. I was looking at the potential mocks today. I know I'd like to have Desmond Bain from TCU. Yeah. Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. And hold on, I got a couple more guys. Elijah Hughes from Syracuse. And if he decides to slip that far, Grant Riller from Charleston is another buddy. I'm the foremost Grant Riller stan on social media, I believe. And I wrote his draft profile way back when for GBB. And if he fell to the Grizzlies at 40 and they selected him, um, it'd be a home run, absolutely for sure. He, there are shades of Lou Williams in his game, and it would not surprise me at all if he got to that caliber of a player. And honestly, if they selected him, I think they would make uh, DeAnthony Melton much more expendable and restricted free agency, who I think will be a member of the team regardless next year anyway. But I have a long list of loves for that pick. Um, I don't. I have a feeling that I'm not going to be disappointed. I love Riller. I love Peyton Pritchard from Oregon. Um, Desmond Bain is another person I like. Uh, Cassius Winston, Michigan State, just a pure. You, I don't think I don't think he falls it for us. The only thing Yeah, I think the Lakers are going to pick him at around twenty-eight or twenty-nine. I think, or do they? Do they? They ended up with the best record in the league, didn't they? Yeah, so they'll. I yeah. think they'll pick him at thirty. They need a backup point guard that is not Rajon Rondo. And Winston was perhaps the best overall shooter in this draft class when you take off the dribble and spot up into account. So he fits a need for the Lakers. I so I think they'll take him at the end of the first round. But the Grizzlies, 
should consider a third point guard. You saw what happened with Ty's missed time in Orlando. And DeAnthony Melton, love him or hate him, he's not a point guard. This is not right. his name. He, he's, he, a, he's a two that can bring the ball up the court just like Grayson Allen is. Yeah, yeah, he's a secondary playmaker. That's what he is. But going back to the top four discussion, now this is the trigger point for me. And if you like saw any of my tweets today, you already know what I'm going to – what I'm about to say – I, for the life of me, cannot understand the James Wiseman love for the Memphis community. If you still like the kid because he chose to came to the University of Memphis on the front end, you know, that's totally fine. What I mean is I don't understand why people want the Grizzlies to select him outside. I do. I do. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's ignorance. I understand why. <laughs> uh, I just – You know, I'm a proponent of the philosophy that you draft the best player available. And if the Grizzlies hopped into the top four and you were firmly convinced that James Wiseman was the best player available, it doesn't matter that you got Jaron Jackson, Jonas Valanciunas, and Brandon Clark. You select the most talented player available in James Wiseman, and you try to make it work. But – there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that Wiseman is a better prospect than Diddy Avija, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, or even Killian Hayes for that matter, especially when you consider how guard-centric and guard-dominant the modern NBA is. And I could get into questions about his competitive, uh, competitiveness and motor that would seem to be suggested by him quitting after playing three games at the University of Memphis, but I just don't understand it. I really don't. Look, we've had to sit through the Grizzlies should draft Tyreek Evans, the Grizzlies should draft Joey Dorsey, the Grizzlies should draft Rodney Carney, Grizzlies should draft Derrick Rose, the Grizzlies should draft anyone that's either played high school basketball in Memphis, college basketball in Memphis, or semi-pro basketball in Memphis. The Grizzlies should draft them, draft them all, sign them all, whatever, whatever. So I was not surprised that all of a sudden this became a topic. But – I think it makes absolutely no sense. I understand the optics of, yes, draft the best player, don't draft or fit, because more times than not, when you draft or fit, it doesn't pan out. I trust Zach Kleiman to take the best pick, no matter where they pick at. I'll say that up front. But James Wiseman, it makes no sense. We don't have to make this pick of, oh, he's a local talent. This is a nice story. Let's do this. This is a practice that goes all the way back to the time of the Memphis Sounds here in Memphis. There's no reason to do this. We don't, we're not struggling for attendance right now. We have two of the best young players in the league. There's no need to have the, oh, we got a local kid on the team. There's no need for that. It, and I get what you're saying, and I agree with it, but it's still downright weird to me because I'm not going to make a judgment about his character. Like, he was 18, 19 years old, and we all made dumb decisions when we were 18, 19 years old, and his decision to quit the team um, right before Christmas so that he could, quote, unquote, go prepare for the NBA draft it was an objectively dumb decision. If he had decided to say the NCAA has mistreated me, I feel exploited by them, so I'm not going to participate in the system anymore, I think he would have had all of Memphis rally behind him and say, look, we're sad about it, but we get it. We understand it. We understand why you're doing what you're doing. But for the reason he gave, it just made no sense at all. And there were already – some over underlying questions about his competitiveness and motor before he came to the University of Memphis. 
and he quit the program. He quit the program. He quit the team after just three games. He decided that he didn't want to be here, that it wasn't worth being here. And even in his most recent highlight video that he posted on Twitter, he posted nothing from his time at the University of Memphis. He obviously doesn't own his time at Memphis. He doesn't identify with that. So the Memphis fans who were out here saying, oh, we need to draft Wiseman. He's a Memphis kid. I'd love to see him as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. You know what they were He's not a Memphis kid. He's from Nashville. Yeah, he's a Nashville kid. He doesn't identify with us. He never did, and it's very obvious with the decision that he made. And the Memphis people who are going to bat for him saying, I want to see him be a member of the Grizzlies. He's a Tiger. It's like guys who – Um, their girlfriend breaks up with them and they keep on telling everyone about how great that girl is and how they'd like to get back together with her, even though she just started dating a new guy. (laughs) I just, I just don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, I think as well as I understand the reason Wiseman gave what he gave, I'm not going to say the kid quit, but at the same time, there's just no reason. Like the Grizzlies have, three good forwards. They need shooting. They've needed shooting pretty much since the team's been in Memphis. You have three guys that could get drafted in that top four area that no one would say, okay, you didn't overdraft them. Mm-hmm. You pick the guy that can shoot. LaMelo Ball can shoot. Anthony Edwards can get his own shot, and I think in a couple years, he'll be a relatively decent knockdown shooter. Avija he can shoot. Isaac Okoro, I think it'd be a little bit of overdrafting, but he's not known as a shooter, but he can get his own shot. James Wiseman just doesn't make sense. I love the kid. Like, I've watched him play. I watched him play when he was at East. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a good player, but I don't think it's worth, first off, the discussion, because I don't think they're getting a top four pick. But all of this bickering going back and forth is just not worth it not worth the time the Memphis the Memphis story isn't what people want it to be and no just let it go yeah. let it go let let that girlfriend go it's, yeah. it's not yeah. worth it and, and I think we're about to see that girlfriend go because again 96 percent chance they could be but Bryce, all i got to say is man we better be hoping that 96 percent comes through because if it doesn't we're going to be going to war with some rapid Memphis Tiger fans for the next three to four months. I'm, I'm for it because, I mean, you know, being from Memphis, like I support the team, but I'm not a Memphis fan, so I can watch Memphis Tigers basketball and be objective about it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fully prepared for this. So yeah. if it happens that way, I'll be sad because that more than likely means we'll miss out on a Kay Cunningham or Jalen Green in the next draft. But – you know, there's still diamonds in the rough in this one. If we end up being a top four pick, you know, I doubt it happens. Yep, for sure. Bryce, you have anything else, man? Oh, man, uh, we're going to watch this NBA lottery today. Enjoy, enjoy basketball, being on our televisions pretty much all day for the next couple weeks and get ready for this next season of Grizzlies basketball because it's going to be something special. For sure, man, for sure. Even if it may not be until February, depending on what the Players Association just said here recently. But you know what? We got NBA basketball all day long, like you're saying right now, and I'm choosing not to worry about the future. Yeah, I'm just enjoying each day, man. This pandemic doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. So I'm just enjoying basketball while I got it. Hope baseball and football can figure it out. 
and just, you know, take it day by day. That's what I, I encourage Grizz fans to do. I know it's kind of tough right now with everything going on. But, hey, just take it 24 hours at a time. Appreciate it, man. Bryce, why don't you plug your stuff? Hey, man, follow me on Twitter, at Next Prodigy, for not only basketball takes, but pretty much sports in general. You know, former football player, so I got to have, have some opinions on college football and the crazy world that's going through right now. So, at Next Prodigy, NXT Prodigy on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. Please don't cancel me for the takes that I share. Views represent myself only and not my employer. (laughs) Both of my employers. And you can find all of my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. That's all, folks.